I know you all have had experience with this, how very easy it is to, uh, to be able to detect faults in other people and not even not really see our own selves. We're, we're hard to convince sometimes that we're wrong. <clears throat> we're hard to see our own failures, uh, our own <clears throat> sins and uh, disobediences. And when we read the Old Testament in hindsight, it always seems as though we're tempted to say, why wow, those foolish people are stiff-necked. How is it that they fail the Lord? When are they going to get their act together? This is one of the passages that would evoke that kind of response. And, uh, I mean, of course, it would be utterly wrong for us to say, those wicked, those wicked people, you know, I'm glad the Lord, I'm glad the church today isn't as wicked as that. No, well, we can't come to that conclusion. We don't know. We're just giving here an example and some teaching that we have to be very careful how we respond to the Lord's leadership because surely the Lord is in our midst. And if we, if we don't see that, if we don't believe that, uh, well, we'll certainly get in as much trouble or worse uh, than these people uh, did under Moses. The teaching here is that Jehovah is certainly in the midst of his congregation, his covenanted people. But uh, an unbelieving heart will not believe this. Jehovah surely is in our midst. And he's covenanted with us, and he has promised to be in our midst. But an unbelieving heart will not believe this, and this unbelief will test, is a testing of Jehovah, not a trying of ourselves as far as why are we failing to believe. No, it is a, actually, it's a testing of Jehovah. Nevertheless, Jehovah's goodness will attend you, will attend us, despite our evil ways. Let me just say this shorthand again. Jehovah is certainly in the midst of his congregation, uh, but an unbelieving heart will not believe it. Uh, unbelief will test Jehovah. Nevertheless, God and Jehovah will be good and will uh, minister to you, attend to you, despite uh, our wicked ways. We'll see this. I think I've got four points in a rather <clears throat> lengthy, but I will not spend too much time on any of them. I, I, I say this because this, this is an exceedingly important passage. There, there's a great deal of material uh, to consider here. Uh, but let me begin by saying point number one, the root of the evil, the root of all this evil is, is, is unbelief in, in the heart. Uh, this unbelief was in Jehovah's redeemed people as he brought them out of Egypt. Unbelief. And the very people that God brought out, he set them apart from the Egyptians. He made a, distinct, uh, a, a distinction between uh, the covenant people of God, Abraham's seed, and, and Egypt. He did that quite dramatically, as you know the story. These uh, were his covenanted people under Abraham. And arguably, Abraham's covenant is one of grace. Uh, he drew Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldee, and he uh, revealed himself to him, and he re revealed his ways to Abraham and his household by and by. He gave him the sign of, of the circumcision. Uh, but there was still unbelief in Abraham. There was certainly unbelief here in Jehovah's redeemed people in the wilderness before uh, Rephidim and before Horeb. This is uh, despite, despite Jehovah's supernatural uh, presence. Uh, the Lord manifested himself by a pillar by day and a, and a cloud, uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And uh, of course, uh, Moses uh, there was his, his prophet, and, and by his staff he wielded the authority of God. 
So wherever that staff indicated, the Red Sea parted, uh, all manner uh, of help uh, was given to Israel. And that was not Moses doing, but it was Jehovah's supernatural presence with them. They could see uh, the cloud giving them shade by day and by night warmth and light. Jehovah's recent wondrous works, which were magnificent. They, they were works to be remembered and works that were narrated not only within Israel, but for generations uh, among the nations bordering Israel. Uh, because the ten plagues were, were something outrageously wonderful and, 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 ter- and terrifying. Uh, a whole, the, the world's mightiest nation was brought down to its knees. The Passover event was finally the, you might say, the straw that broke Pharaoh's back. Again, distinguishing the Lord's people from, from the Egyptians by the blood of the Lamb. With the sign, and, and, and Israel uh, brought out uh, that evening in, in, in array, in holy array, uh, coming between Israel and Pharaoh's army as the army was approaching. The Lord Jehovah in the cloud moved to the back of the column and stood there like a shield and would not let the Egyptians pass. All of Israel saw this. This is certainly Jehovah's wondrous works. The crossing of the Red Sea would not be forgotten by anybody in that generation. Who has ever heard of something like this? And then uh, bringing them to to Elam for refreshment. All all of these things are done before their very eyes. The Lord had had not only delivered them from from Egypt, but now he's showing that even through uh, the difficulty of the wilderness trek, that he would supply uh, not outrageously uh, fabulous wealth, but sufficient life. Uh, to to sustain them on their way to Zion. What we see here is that the people are seeing with their eyes, but not seeing with their spiritual eyes. They are hearing the prophecy of Moses, but not really hearing what the Lord intends in the message. You can be before preaching and not really be profiting by the preaching. You can be reading your Bible, and uh, there are marks on the paper, and you're, you're registering verbs and nouns and adjectives, but it's not sinking in as anything of a propositional truth that God will bless and, uh, and will uh, mark for your good. Physical eyes may be open, but spiritual eyes may be closed. And this is where every time we approach the Scripture and every time we prepare for worship and meet with the Lord, we must pray that the Lord meet us and enlarge our hearts that we be sensitive to His presence. Otherwise, no matter how much Scripture and how many glorious songs, no matter how uh, the preaching and uh, maybe uh, uh, addressing the needs of the congregation or, or, or the beauty of Christ, uh, people will leave stone cold as if the Lord had been a thousand miles from this place. And uh, we need to, as an exercise, recall God's deliverances of us often. In church history, we've got all of the Bible. We've got any number of other books that narrate the deliverances of God. Uh, great missionaries and, and uh, reformers, uh, close escapes, uh, even in your own family, maybe you've been spared from severe illness, you've narrowly, uh, uh, you've narrowly escaped a, a tremendous automobile accident, or maybe you've recovered of that. Uh, the Lord has been gracious. We, we need to recount all of these favors, and remember, this is, this is the kindness of God in our midst. And how many prayers... How many prayers have we offered up here throughout the years? And the Lord has been very gracious to answer. 
And so we need to be thankful and, re and recall that when the Lord answers our prayers, that uh, it is because he is near to those who cry unto him, who cry unto him in faith, and uh, is a deliverer to his people. The root of all evil, though, is unbelief. Unbelief, though, there is a manifest reason to the believe that the Lord is close. And that, uh, and that is something to be very watchful against. The point number two is that unbelief, this unbelief will have you trust in man and not in Jehovah. See, if you don't believe in the Lord Jehovah God, you will believe in something. And uh, it could be an idol or it could be a false deity. But uh, in the case of Israel, so many times they believed in man or in the, the, the power of their own strength, their own righteousness. Uh, this is uh, what we see here in Jehovah's redeemed people in the passage. The people bitterly complained and they quarreled with Moses as if Moses was the one responsible for their predicaments. Moses has already been preached. It didn't have any idea how he was going to get from A to B, from uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, across uh, through many dangers and uh, wastelands, and, and certainly not to greet the Philistines on their on the, the Philistine garrison right at their front front line. He had no idea how the Lord was going to do this. He's He's waiting on the Lord. He's depending on the Lord. But the people uh, qu uh, bitterly quarreled with Moses. Uh, and when they ran out of water, they blamed Moses as if Moses create, could create fountains and, and streams in the desert. As if Moses himself were the deliverer. But we have the same propensity uh, to lean on the arm of flesh, to trust in our own intelligence, uh, to trust in our friends, to trust um, in the majority vote at session or in the majority vote in, uh, at the General Assembly. Um, the thing to do is, is to not trust men. Uh, do not regard princes. Uh, help will, uh, on, on the arm of flesh will certainly fail. If you, if you lean on the arms of flesh, if you lean on flesh, the Lord will be gracious to not help you, to help you fail. He, will, he does not want you to place your confident, confidence in man. He wants you to place your confidence in him. So better then would have, would have been to, to, to cry out or better uh, to confidently pray to the Lord and who is near because he's promised to be near to his people and, and speak to Jehovah about all that is in your heart all your desires. He, he cares for you and he, he already knows before you do that you're going to run into a dry spot in the wilderness. He is almighty God and he knows all this thing. Now you have to take note here that unbelief tries to justify itself um, and, and put its, paint itself in its best light. The people here uh, are, are expressing a tremendous unbelief and they're beginning to, te they're beginning to test Jehovah God. But they cry out saying, listen, our concern is not only for us, but look, we're, we're concerned for our little ones. We're concerned for our, our cattle. Don't you even care about animals, Moses? And uh, that sort of pleading, of course, will gain an ear with others saying, oh, yeah, you're right. You're a loving father and mother. And uh, it sounds very, uh, very excusable. But actually what that is, is, is blame shifting, is blame shifting because the Lord has this trial by design. And you are skirting, skirting the issue. Moses sees their sin, however. You see, Moses is able to see this. He's already uh, uh, a, uh, an experienced religious leader. 
and has, having, been dealt, having been dealt with himself by the, the Lord, knows what sin is, and he asks then the people, why do you test Jehovah? Why, why, what are you doing here? Are you going to contest with the Almighty? Uh, do you remember what happened to Pharaoh when he did that? That's, I mean, that, that was the whole laboratory there in Egypt with Pharaoh. Pharaoh tested Jehovah to see, well, let's, let's see what this God Jehovah is made of, made of. The people are doing the same thing. And sometimes people, God's people resemble Egyptians more than they do the, uh, the saintly people of God. Uh, we can all fall into unbelief and uh, begin to test, uh, test the Lord in this way. And uh, we, have to, we have to see that this, uh, this is hard for us to see. It's easy for us to see uh, the Israelites failing in this passage, but it's hard for us to see ourselves in this passage. <laughs> and many, many in our age, what they're after is a strong leader, a strong Christian leader who will help them, especially when times are difficult. What people react to is, is a strong man, somebody who who's, has clear vision, someone who has, uh, can say, this is the way, and, and, and walk in it, and we'll keep talking to them and be very, very confident. But trusting a Christian leader is not the same thing as trusting Jehovah. These people, in a sense, trusted Moses. But they weren't really, through, uh, they weren't, they weren't really approaching the Lord through their trust, through Moses. You trust in, in personalities. We, we, we've got a cult of, of Christian celebrities. These people are very successful in the... And they're very well acclaimed. They have talent and everything, but the purpose of these leaders is to point you to Christ, like John the Baptist. Uh, I must decrease, and, and, and the Lord Christ, he must increase. All who trust in flesh, by design, will be graciously made miserable. That's right. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord, if you, if you have a crutch uh, made of paper mache, if you lean on it, it will break. And next time you'll buy a better crutch. No, no. The flesh is not to be trusted in. For it's by spirit and by God, the Lord's strength that, he, that, that uh, progress is made. And so the church will always be disappointed if it can never raise its eyes above the horizon. Uh, your marriage will be a disappointment unless you can see that the Lord is indeed working through uh, your spouse for your betterment. It's best to listen to your spouse. Uh, your children and the trials they present you, they have lessons in them too. And uh, you are to learn uh, your failures and improve them through the interactions of your people and so, uh, and so on and so forth. These, these trials are all by God's design. Don't blame shift. Take a good hard look at the situation. Back up and see the, the 30,000 foot view and you'll see uh, that unbelief is what, what uh, has us trusting in our own resources, in our own intelligence, in, in our book learning, etc., and not in Jehovah. We need to sit still and know that he is God, that he will be exalted in the earth, that he will be exalted in the heavens. Just wait upon the Lord, and then you will renew your strength. The third point is that trials in the church reveal uh, unbelief, and they reveal faith. That's the purpose of a trial. It's, it's, a, it's a splitter. Not to say that you're going to have absolute faith and absolute unbelief, uh, but that faith and the unbelief will be manifested. Trials reveal, but don't cause sin. When there's, 
when there's a challenge, when there's a, a difficulty uh, in the church, this is by design. And depending on how we react this, uh, we can either glorify God or we can fall back and fail. Calvin here notes at this, at this point in this, uh, in this passage that temptation, temptation to the church is the mother of contentions. Uh, for as soon as anything occurs contrary to the wishes of one who distrusts God, uh, he has recourse to murmuring and to dispute. Let me read this again. Temptation is the mother of contentions. As soon as anything occurs contrary to the wishes of one who distrusts God, he has recourse to murmuring and to dispute. And that is exactly what is happening in this passage. Now, it's not as if the people are tried and the leaders are not. The leader is probably first tried because the one who has more knowledge and, and, and office uh, has the more severe judgment. So let's begin with Moses. Moses was tried. Moses here is seen to fear the people, the congregation of the Lord in the wilderness. He's, he's, shown, to, he's, he's shown to fear the people needlessly. Moses cried out uh, to the Lord. He was, uh, in, in, in a sense, extremely uh, concerned about his situation. And uh, he cried out to Jehovah, as it were, in a panic. Now, unbelief in prayer is sinful. Uh, we ought to be absolutely confident, absolutely confident that God is our help and that he is our refuge and strength. And though 10,000 are about me, uh, yet uh, no, uh, nothing unfortunate will help. No evil will, 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 be told, will, will take me because the Lord is your strength and the Lord is, is your help. Besides, Moses had any number of promises that were still extant. Uh, that uh, the Lord would certainly move him forward in the wilderness. He was, he was not to die there. That was not his appointed day of death. should have known that. But un unbelief of this kind, even in prayer, is sinful. At least he, at least he cried out to the Lord, but uh, not, not, in a, not in a peaceful way. And not in a way that would ever, uh, well, you get, you, you get the impression that maybe God's gaze was diverted from Moses. Would he ever leave his people? Would he ever ignore his blood-bought ones? His concern, his maximum concern, is with his own redeemed. He loves those above all measure. And especially in the revelation of Christ, we see that Jesus gave his all for his people. So he is very, very near to his people. And if you aggravate his people, you're as poking your eye in the apple of, his, of the Lord. So, of course... His gaze has never diverted. The shepherd, the good shepherd of Israel, he has, he has purview and great oversight and concern over all his possession. Moses feared the people needlessly. He was tried. Uh, and Jehovah tested Moses' faith. And here's how he tested him. This is, this is something you'll see on two occasions, at least two occasions in the New Testament with Jesus. The Lord Jehovah tests Moses' faith by commanding Moses to walk right through the middle of the camp to the very front, to the very uh, the rock there before the Mount of Horeb. In other words, he has to pass through all those aggressive people who are looking at him with angry faces and with scorns and uh, maybe something worse. Uh, they, have, they, have, they have anger. They, 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 they are afraid. And when people are afraid for themselves and their children, they will do amazing things. 
But he was commanded to walk through the camp to the front to meet with the Lord, he and some of the elders. And Moses here shows then that he does have faith. He walks right through that crowd, which is not an easy thing to do. I'd rather, I think, walk through uh, a ring of lions than to meet uh, two million people that are very, very angry at their situation. But isn't this what Jesus did on the brow there uh, of the cliffs in Nazareth? His own townspeople, after figuring out what his agenda was, they were ready to toss him over. And they would have pitched him over the brink of the cliff, except the Lord just, well, this, you know, the, the scripture says he just walked right through them. He did the same thing in John chapter 8, uh, where he was contending with the people uh, about uh, uh, the fact that uh, before Abraham he was, and the people said, well, wait a minute, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not yet 50 years old, and and what are you saying here? And they, they thought that the Lord Jesus was, was blaspheming. And they would have taken up stones and, and kill him. But the scripture says, again, he walked right through. See, this is, <laughs> this is more than just a coincidence. I'm not, I'm not cherry picking the scriptures. This is what a leader that trusts the Lord will do. The leader appointed by God uh, will be such that he will face the animosity and the unbelief of people, and he will, he will be a lightning rod. He will be blamed for much. That's just the nature of, of, of sin. When we lean on the arm of flesh and don't really engage the Lord in our belief. And so Jehovah tested Moses' faith, and here at this point, he does show faith. He walks through. But then Jehovah's people... Uh, were also tried in this very incident. Um, they feared, of course, dying of thirst. And it was in Jehovah's providence that they ran out of water. And the people were made to feel their peril. There is nothing, I, there's really nothing like thirst to put us in the position of panic when we don't know when we're going to get water, when we know it's hot and we are dry, the symptoms of dehydration are, 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 are quite dismaying, literally dismaying. And if you, you know that it'd be just a matter of hours before some real danger sets in, then you'd be too weak to do anything. Uh, and there's, no, there's no hope. But the people are made to feel their peril, their peril, and on whom would they depend? An extreme trial, an extreme trial will test your allegiance. Will you remain faithful? Will you wait upon the Lord? Will you pray uh, to him in confidence? You know, they, they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Uh, they will mount up as wings, as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. And we quote that and we think oh, that's very fine in Sunday school, but when you get down to the wilderness of sin, that doesn't work. Well, it has to work because the Lord does not change. He does not change, but extreme trial will reveal your true allegiance. Whom will you lean on? Who will you talk to? Will you talk to God? Will you spend time, a great deal of time, in prayer? I mean, that is to say, uh, bow before the Lord and grab Jesus' ankles, as I like to say. That's pleading with Him in prayer and deliberate with Him. Or will you get on the phone and cackle with a number of your friends and tell them how bad life is, and especially the problems in the church and the leadership? But Jehovah was still manifestly in their camp. Manifestly in their camp. I, I, I mean, evidentially in his camp. There he is. The pillar. But this trial revealed God, the people's unbelief. 
unbelief, uh, it was unbelief that quarreled Jehovah, and so the place is named Moriah. Unbelief tested Jehovah, and so the place is called Massa. Unbelief asked the question, is Jehovah in our midst or not? And it's very difficult, my friends, to see and relate. How could it be that these people fail? But if you think of our own circumstances, we're of the same stock. We're of the fallen race of Adam, and we have the same bent, the same proclivity to unbelief. Now, this trial revealed blasphemy in the hearts of Jehovah's people. And basically what they're doing is they're negating one of the Lord's attributes, which is, I mean, his presence with his people, his omniscience and omnipresence as well. The ones in the trial here, Israel, deflected. They turned and then instead of realizing that they were under trial, they test Jehovah, and they, they're testing Jehovah's patience at this point. They're testing Jehovah to see what he might do. <laughs> that's turning the tables. But that's what we do. That's, that's sin in us, pretending that we are the gods and that God is our creature. But that's, what we, that's, that's the bent that we have because we're sinful. And sin is, is that deceptive. You talk about the turning of, of the table. Testing Jehovah is blasphemous. Nobody can, nobody can test Jehovah as if his promises could possibly fail, as if the only true and truthful being, the only truly good person, an honest person, would lie. You think about what we're doing when we, when we fail to trust in the Lord God, as if his leadership was not manifestly apparent there are so many people that leave church services. and it's, If you look at what's going on in a, in a worship service in a good Reformed church, it's absolutely chock full of Scripture. And so are the hymns and so are the psalms. And hopefully the preaching will be like that, exalting the Lord in your midst uh, and, uh, and uh, graciously, hopefully, uh, uh, putting the light on the spotlight on our own failings that we might turn to the Lord, we might repent. All these things are good things, and yet people leave disgusted. As if they got nothing at all, nothing at all out of the sermon. Nothing at all out of the service, out of the prayers, out of the singing, out of the, out of the greetings and encouragements of the other saints. Testing Jehovah in this way is sufficient evidence for unbelief. We're acting like pagans. I mean, we're acting as, as practical atheists. But my friends, this is not something to be covered up. Look what Moses does here. Look what Moses does. The names of the place, uh, the name of the place there in Rephidim, is remembered. The, the the past sin of unbelief, of testing Jehovah, uh, and of complaining, striving, quarreling, is remembered in the place being named Moriah, and Massa. Let's see. The Lord covers our sin, but He wants us to be wise, and He wants us to understand that we are weak. And we fail in many, many ways. And we, we must remember that in the past, we have failed. And he's been gracious to forgive us. Because what he's going to do, you'll see in a minute, is he's going to forgive us. He's going to pass over the sins of his people again and again and again and continue to lead them forward. He's not given up on Israel. But they must remember that apart from the Lord's help, they all like sheep stray, each one their own way. But the Lord is the one who uh, forgives the iniquity of us all. 
The memorials in the wilderness, there they are, Massa and Meribah. That reminds you then of 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, uh, then we're testing God. We're testing Jehovah. No, uh, we're, we're right. You're the one that's not, you're not delivering. We're, uh, life is not good and it's, it's your fault. Trials in the church, trials in the home, trials in the school, trials in your work will come to everyone, but especially to every believer. And every believer will have his trial by design. And so Peter re uh, reminds us in his epistle, 1 Peter 4, not to consider it a, a strange thing when trials of, various trials come upon you. No, it, it, nothing unusual is happening to you. This is a place where you, and an occasion for you to trust the Lord and not to deflect, certainly not to turn the tables around and, uh, and make the place uh, uh, Massa and Moriah. We're prone to that, so be careful. Above all, stop judging others, especially those that you that seem to have some kind of authority. Your parents, how many children say, I, I grew up and I'm all messed up because my parents were so messed up. Ah, well, which parents are not messed up? We're all sinners in so many ways. But you've got to stop judging others, especially those who have authority of you in the, uh, in the church. Uh, because when you do, you're judging the law uh, as if they could have done better. They're sinners, but they could have done better. And you are a lawmaker. You, again, are changing things around. But if you judge the law, you yourself are a lawbreaker. The law is meant not to be judged, and the Lord is not, is not there to be judged either. James 4, verse 11 gives you that caution. Stop judging others. You don't understand. You don't understand that it's your reaction and your bad response that is giving you increased misery and increased pain of conscience. The final uh, word here that I have to say, point four of the sermon is Jehovah's goodness. Jehovah's goodness even extends to his sinful church. Uh, he graciously gives them to drink of that rock. Moses is told to go to the rock, and uh, he is to uh, strike the rock, which he does, and water is to come out, and he does this. And so the Lord is good. He, he teaches us to forgive those who trespass against us. He teaches us to turn the other cheek and to do good, to bless our enemies. And this is what the Lord has always done with his people. This is how the Lord is. And he's good because he gives them the essential physical refreshment. But here, Paul is indicating there's something else going on in this, in this, in this passage, probably by way of figure, but that rock is said to be Christ. And so there was something spiritual about the refreshment there too. Uh, perhaps what he's saying uh, there in, in, Corinth, in, in the first letter to the Corinthians is that uh, the Lord was teaching them uh, how refreshing it is to trust in the Lord by way of, of metaphor. Anyway, the Lord is very gracious. He gives them the, the required moisture there in the, from the rock, and he will mercifully not give them what they deserve. He gives them graciously what they don't deserve after blaspheming, after mistrusting and accusing Moses and himself. But he also mercifully does not give them what they deserve, chastening <laughs> her viciously quarreling with Moses. Man, Moses... He's just doing what he's told to do. In uh, immediate death, he really, he could have taken all their lives and made a na another nation out of them from what? From the sand, these stones. Uh, 
But no, he doesn't do that, even though they blasphemed him. He will continue to lead them to, uh, to Zion, uh, through the wilderness. Uh, and uh, as, as Paul says in his epistle here, in this very passage, he gives them Christ in the rock. That is to say, he gives them grace uh, to, to persevere. The people, um, strangely, in this, in, this, in this passage, we're told that, uh, that, uh, that Moses and the elders were to pass forward, and the, the, the rock would give its water in the sight of the elders and of Moses. But the people themselves were withheld from witnessing this. And I can only conjecture that the reason for this is that they had already seen what? The ten plagues, they'd seen, they'd seen the Passover, they'd seen Pharaoh's army cower back, they'd seen the crossing of the Red Sea. Oh, well, this is, a, in a sense, a lesser miracle. I mean, it's, it's a magnanimous delivery. But having failed so many, with such great helps before, the Lord's not going to give them any more rope from which they could hang themselves. If they see this and then complain further, it's just another fresh sin of blasphemy and unbelief. So he's going to keep them from that. So he only brings for, uh, Moses forward and uh, the elders forward. The elders then witness this wonder along with Moses. Now, it's interesting, and by providence, you know, we have a communion service here, but Paul warns the Corinthians, um, uh, the Christians, not to break through to this rock without judging yourself. That's what it means to stop and regard the sacrament. It's the same situation as the people in the wilderness. We have to make sure that a sacrament is held and esteemed as a holy thing and not to profane it. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5 uh, is absolutely there as the front porch of 1 Corinthians 11 where we're told we ought to be careful in the Lord's Supper. It must be fenced, hearts must be searched, and not by God only, but for ourselves if there's any indecency because it is a picture of, of friendship. It's a spiritual ordinances. It's a spiritual ordinance, and spiritual ordinances go deeper than the externals. Uh, in other words, we're judging more than just the appearance of the eye. We're judging according to the internal workings of our spirit in conjunction with the Lord's spirit in our hearts. It is a spiritual drink. It goes to the very core of our being, and so we must examine ourselves. This is not a carnal. This is not a carnal uh, ordinance. And those who, who partake of church ordinances without faith or without faith and, and a corresponding repentance from the heart, they are abusing the Lord's good gifts. They are failing the Lord. They're, there's no gratefulness in the Lord's provision. We pray, give us this day our daily bread, but when he offers our daily bread, there's no gratefulness. So Jehovah's goodness will continue to uh, be with his people. And he will continue to water the church. He will begin, continue to, to feed the church and to shepherd the church. But the church would do much better to worship according to spirit and according to truth. And that is the worship that God requires of his people in every wilderness. Let's conclude this by saying that Jehovah then is certainly in the midst of his people. 
But an unbelieving heart will not believe this. Uh, unbelief uh, is, a, is a testing of Jehovah himself. Nevertheless, Jehovah's goodness is attending you. He's not going to turn back. He's steadfast to his promises. He will attend you despite uh, sinful, profane ways. Now, you have to understand that we by nature are a contentious lot. And just because we are aggregate in a church doesn't make things any different. And so these contentions have to be held and they are to be brought forth orderly in an orderly manner. But by all means, don't quarrel with things you don't understand. Don't quarrel with the leaders unnecessarily. If you have, if you have something to say to them, take, take them apart with another witness and take them, take them before the session. But no quarreling uh, or you will, you will test God. Because after all, if he's doing the will of God and you are quarreling with him, you're really, you're really wrestling with God. If you have a bitter root of unbelief, be careful because it's a, it's a mother's sin. Uh, you know, bitterness will have you blind to many, many good things. It'll make you ungrateful. It'll make you unthankful. It'll, it'll, it'll cause you to be brittle and, and quarrelsome. And don't try to justify your unbelief uh, as being a concern for your children and others. This is sanctimony. We're so easy to deflect. We have a thousand excuses about what's going on. Don't blame others. First, blame your own unbelief and repent. As uh, Elder Ted prayed this morning, we had to be very severe in our own critique of ourselves and mild with respect of others. Don't vex your leaders or they will come under trial. And, and these, these are stumbling blocks in the church. And we will see that Moses was and will about to be vexed uh, and uh, actually fail uh, because <laughs> his patience his patience had run out, even though he was the, the meekest and the mildest, the most humble of all men in the world. If you've not confessed unbelief lately, if you've not confessed unbelief, it's probably because you haven't taken time to really search your hearts. Because the Lord wants us to trust him fully and to rest in his arms as it were, as a weaned child, to be fully contented is the aim of the 10th commandment. Because after all, God is God. And he has every provision in his eye and his gaze is upon you. So what better circumstances could you be in? And yet we don't respond in our life as if that is a, a truth. And so we must say, it's not a matter, it's not a matter of only our outward demeanor. It's our hearts are, are, are stubborn and they just... They won't believe that God is our help. Anything that's hindering your walk through the wilderness with God, you, you need to understand that some of these things are by, by design, and you are to ask for wisdom to see things the way the Lord sees these things. And by all, and by all means, you are to ask yourself the question, is Jehovah with you or not? Are you walking with your God or not? Do, do you sense his pleasure? Do you sense his blessing? There's, it's a very appropriate uh, question at the at conclusion of the Lord's Supper for an elder or an, even another Christian to say to you, uh, how was your worship and how was your communion? Uh, were you benefited by the Lord's blessing at the table? How so? How Were you strengthened? Were you, uh, were, were, were you comforted? That is a very subjective analysis. 
but that is requisite to the Christian. And so say our standards in Westminster. And of course, say the Bible, of course, as we preach the Bible. Jehovah in your midst or not? Well, but what are, your, what are your choices, really? What are Israel's choices? They're in the wilderness. You either follow Jehovah or go back to Egypt. There's no other choices. And do you really want to go back to Egypt where it's leaks? And it's, is that what you, no. No, no, no. So then press on. And speak to yourself in this way. Look, Lord, you're the only one that has the words of life. And I entrust my soul to you. So make every way straight and cause me to trust you and grant me the peace. So you need to thank the Lord, your shepherd, for leading you in this spiritual journey. And the journey with God goes like this. In three broad categories, and this is the Heidelberg Catechism, and it's a very quick sketch of uh, uh, outline of the Heidelberg Catechism. Your journey with God begins with misery. And then it passes on to deliverance. And then it should naturally flow into gratitude. That's your pilgrimage in this life. If you don't, if you're not aware of your misery, you will never turn to God for deliverance. If you're not aware of your deliverance, you will never walk in gratitude and joy and strength. Gratitude is the mark of a faithful sojourner, an experienced sojourner. And so follow grace, so follow mercy and peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Remember that God has not dealt with you according to your sins he covers even all of this, this outrageous behavior. Sure, he'll have you set up memorials, Massa and Meribah, but he will forgive. He will cleanse. He will give you grace to continue in the march. And all this, my friends, because of the Lord Jesus perseveres in you. You see, it's not Moses who's mediating. It's the Lord Jesus who is the second person of the Trinity, who is the mediator of the covenant of grace. And all help that has come to every one of God's people, be it Abraham in the Old Testament, Moses, or any child of God here, any help they get is through the arms and the graces and merits of our Lord Jesus. And so by believing in the Lord, who He is, His love for you and dying for you on the cross, His being vindicated by the Lord Father, by His resurrection, His ascension to the right hand of God to purvey and administer the whole of his nation in their journey through the wilderness of this world and even into eternity. All that is at his hands. Trust the Lord as your Savior, as your King and your Shepherd, and you will be safe. Now that Shepherd gave his life for you, for his people. And this is what we celebrate here at the Lord's table tonight. We celebrate the gift of his body and the gift of his blood. We, we celebrate the Passover, where we have our sins passed over, and we are distinguished from the world. Here he has removed us from Egypt. We're en route now through the wilderness to Zion, and we have passed over from death unto life. We, we have a new pitter. We have an all-new citizenship, and that's by the blood of the one who has entered the holy place on our behalf and intercedes. Will the elders please come forward, and we'll celebrate the Lord's table.
Beloved, this sacrament is uh, a sign and seal of the covenant of grace. It is in picture, it represents for us the salvation that is ours in the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as such, those that come to the table come as friends of the Lord who recognize His gift, who have passed on from misery into deliverance and now are in the stage of gratitude. Uh, we come thankfully. In fact, uh, this table is called the Eucharist because it has always been regarded by the church as, as a thanksgiving, as a thanksgiving to God for uh, the gift of Christ. And so, and so to, and coming to the table, I've already mentioned some of the things that must be done. You must be aware enough that you are a sinner, and then you must be aware enough to be dealing with your sin. Uh, we're not talking perfection. What we're talking about is a desire for perfection, a desire to please God with all that you are, uh, but knowing, of course, that you have failed. And uh, gladly, gladly receiving the help that is yours here by the grace of Christ attendant. And so if you have publicly declared yourself a believer and have been baptized and are now part of Christ's church in a public manner, a member, you might say, or attendant under one of Christ's under shepherds, this table is for you, only you must come by faith knowing that you will verily receive because Christ has promised to meet you here. This is the reading from 1 Corinthians 11. Paul says he received from the Lord what uh, he had delivered to the Corinthians, that the, the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we have here, my friends, is a memorial. Uh, rather than a striving at Meribah, we have the body. Rather than a testing at Massa, we have the blood. It's a memorial. Uh, we memorialize our sin in this too because it's sin that brought Jesus to this extremity. It's sin that brought Jesus to sacrifice himself, the costliest sacrifice of all. Uh, but these are given in token of Christ's love. And so we ought to be grateful. The, the, again, the passage continues in verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread, drink of the cup. Anyone that eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. You know, the Lord is merciful. He doesn't want to exterminate his own people. He just wants us to be grateful. And there's no, there's the, only, the only way to be grateful is to pass through misery first and deliverance and then gratitude. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that when we may not be condemned along with the world. Having said that, let's pray. Lord, now these common elements, very, very accustomed to handling bread and wine, but Lord, as you have handled them, they, come, they become for us, Lord, 
emblems of your greatest love, devotion, and faithfulness to your covenant. We thank you that uh, this body is here represented by bread, your blood, in the wine. We pray that you would sanctify these to your honor and your usefulness in this sacrament, that they may be holy, and that they be true nutrition, spiritual nutrition, as you are in these. We pray through Jesus. Amen.